Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Luna Lane. Two besties are behind this brand, Laura and Kate, and we are obsessed with everything they design, especially their linenware. Yep, if I'm not in my activewear, chances are you'll catch me in Luna Lane. I love that their linen range is all naturally dyed, sustainably made, and who doesn't love supporting a female-owned small biz? The girls at Luna Lane are giving our Peachy Fam 20% off site-wide. Enter code PEACHYFAM for your discount. And diversity back then just wasn't a thing. And I would still get told that, you know, my hips were too big or, you know, I was still too curvy. And this is, you know, my pre-baby size eight body. In terms of consent, I think that starts from very young. You're listening to The Peaches Podcast, a show by Tori Clapham and myself, Beck Chidiak. This is not a show about fitness. This is a collection of stories and conversations with some of the most inspiring people we know. This is The Peaches Podcast. Welcome back to The Peaches Podcast. Today, we are sitting down with the beautiful Lauren Burton, who is a long-term member of our Peaches community. We discuss everything in our chat with Lauren from the modeling industry to body image, growing up as a woman of colour in not only Australia, but Queensland and raising boys. We loved our chat with Lauren and we hope you will too. Lauren, I'm just going to pretend we haven't had any technical issues at all and say welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. I'm so happy to be here with you today. So good to see you. Um, Lauren, the last time we saw you was at our Love Your Peach event, which seems like another lifetime. Pre-COVID, pre-babies for us, you already had three. You were well-versed in... in that world um for any of our listeners out there who aren't a follower of yours um and don't know who you are and the amazing work that you do can you give us a little short bio yep so i have um three boys i'm a mum of three and i've got another one on the way another boy and i um, am a model and i also am a mental health practitioner and I run a business called The Self-Care School, which is currently um, on hold due to COVID and, and having a, another baby on the way. So, um, yeah, a lot going on, busy life, but it's, it's full. It's full of joy, full of love. <laughs> Absolutely. And just um, for anyone who's interested in your self-love school, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do there? So um, I basically get women together and we talk about everything that affects our self-love journey. So um, for women that are just starting out on their self-love journey, we talk about, I break it down into six principles um, and we kind of work through those, um, starting with self-awareness and um, yeah, we just kind of um, work together to overcome any obstacles that might be standing in the way of um, mums taking care of themselves or you know, feeling good about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, such a valid and needed business. I think um, yeah. so many women need to work on their self-esteem um, 
to get more out of everything that they do, particularly um, career-wise. So, Lauren, let's dive into it. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and kind of what shaped you as a person and what led you to have um, a business like your self-care school, self-love school? Um, So, um, so many things. Where do I start? Um, I I was born in South Africa. And moved to Australia when I was a baby with my family. And um, I really had like an amazing childhood. Just, you know, I think our generation, you know, playing in the street, climbing trees and um, was just like a wild child, you know. And um, I always like, I never really struggled with my self-esteem. I was, um, it was just my brother and I. So I had, you know, lots of attention, lots of affection. And my parents always built me up. And, and the biggest lesson that I learned growing up is that I could do anything and be anything that I wanted to be. And um, I think as I grew up and, and grew into like my womanhood, I started to realize that um, not everyone has had that message growing up. You know, not everyone has that same like level of confidence and level of um, belief in themselves that they can do anything and achieve anything that they put their mind to or work hard at. So I think that was probably, you know, the eye-opening thing for me that made me want to just tell everyone, especially women, that you can, I'm a big believer in that, you know, you can do it all. You can, um, you can be it all in whatever that looks like for you. Um, so yeah, I just, I've always been like, um, like a go-getter and just wanting to, like, I'm an Aries, so. <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> Fire signs. So, yeah, so nothing, like, nothing holds me back when I want to do something. Um, I, I make it, like, this morning, you know, just keep trying, trying, trying again until we make it happen, so. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> here we are, we're doing it, so. Um, yeah, so that's, I I hope that makes sense. No, absolutely. And that's probably a really nice interlude into you, um, joining the modeling industry a little bit later than, than the average person, um, joins that career path. Can you tell us a little bit about how that all came to be? Actually, it's, it's a cute story because, um, I actually joined, I, so when I was about, um, 13, 14, as I said, I was quite a wild child and my mum decided that I wasn't ladylike enough. So she put me into like deportment and grooming classes is what they used to call it <laughs> back in the day. So she wanted me to be like more ladylike and like it was one of those classes to make you like sit up straight and, you know, sit with your legs closed and like use all your utensils properly at the table and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it was like a week-long class and it was through a modelling agency. And at the end of the week, um, the director of the company actually said that I should enter into this um, modeling competition that they were having. So um, I did that and I ended up um, like placing in like the top five and I ended up with a five-year modeling contract. So that was when I was 14. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So I actually started when I was 14 um, and that took me all the way through to when I was 19. Um, But I hardly got any work and like, you know, here in Queensland, the look at the time was, you know, blonde, blue eyes, very Gold Coast, very beachy. Um, and so I maybe got one or two jobs a year. Which, what, what kind of jobs were you getting, Lauren? Um, 
I would get, I got a lot of hair jobs. Mm-hmm. So I did I one for like Stefan. I don't know if you guys know oh, yeah. Stefan yeah. hair. Yeah. Is that in New South <laughs> Wales going too? back yeah. like No, I don't years. think it is, but the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, no, I knew yeah, all of that through rainbow. mom for some yeah. reason. Stefan. I think it's Stefan. <laughs> Sorry. Stefan, yes, excuse me. <laughs> so I did a hair show. I did some bridal stuff. I did... Um, I did a campaign for this company called Colorado. I'm not sure if they're still around. Um, but, yeah, so I got, like, really random gigs. like Quite tokeniscus, tokenistic. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, but for a 14, 15, 16-year-old, you know, it was great. I was loving life and I it beat my, you know, $8.50 an hour pay less job. So I was happy. <laughs> pay less. <laughs> I was happy with that. So, um, yeah. And then, so when I, when my contract um, came up to expire, I asked my agency, like, you know, I was, I had met my husband at the time and I was ready. He was in the military. So I was about to move to Japan to be with him where he was stationed. And I'm like, I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling. Like, are you going to renew my contract? Because I thought like, this is the perfect opportunity for me to travel the world and model. And um, my agency was like, no, we're not renewing your contract (laughs) because I was hardly getting any work and diversity back then just wasn't a thing. Mm. And this is, you know, my pre-baby size eight, you know, eight to 10 body. So um, it's, it just goes to show like even, you know, in the smaller size range, there was still no work for my look, you know, and I, and I would still get told that, you know, my hips were too big or, you know, I was still too curvy to be. At a size eight. (laughs) Yeah. And at like, you know, 16, 17 years old to be told that, you know, one, your look is just not valued here basically. And your size as well is too big. During, so, during that time with your modeling, was there like a, um, I suppose, kind of goal you wanted to achieve in terms of like, I, I remember back then, back then, back in the day, it was like Dolly and Girlfriend magazine. And, and yeah. you were saying, you know, there was no diversity and you look back at all the front covers and heck through the entire magazine there wasn't that. Was there a part of you that like wanted to be on the front cover of a magazine like oh, that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. And I actually, speaking of Dolly, I went to um, high school with Miranda Kerr and that was around the time when she won that Dolly competition and she was on the cover. So I was like, she was like my idol at the time. And obviously like we look so different, but I definitely aspired to be, you know, in those magazines. But the closest I came was being in um, a magazine called Chick. I don't know if you have, it was like, it started off as like a surfing magazine and then it kind of moved more mainstream, but it was never, you know, front cover style for editorials. I actually did do one editorial, but it was like, again, very tokenistic. Like they brushed my hair out, like full, not, not even Afro, just brushed it out. And for all the curly girls know, like out there know that when you just brush curly hair dry, it's not... <laughs> It's not the best look. Like it was very like, oh, let's do a concept. But, it, you know, the concept had nothing to do with like, you know, being a black girl. It was just something different to mm. do, you know. Mm. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of, you know, the, the, in terms of a goal, I don't think I ever really came close to achieving that goal of 
um, achieving diversity, but at the same time, it wasn't really on my radar because it wasn't a thing. I was just it was existing no in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And so what made you sort of turn back around and re-enter the modelling world later? Tell us that story. So, yeah, so basically I got married really young at 20 and, you know, I couldn't wait to be a mum. And so, you know, a year in I was pregnant and um, started having babies straight away, like every two years. And that was just my whole world. Like that was my goal in life was to be a mum. And um, I was so happy and just so consumed with being a mum and just, you know, soaking up those baby and toddler years. You know, so I was in that mode of, you know, being pregnant and having a baby on my hip or having a toddler attached to me for like a good, you know, six or seven years. So that took up, you know, everything. You guys know how you're right in that stage now, you know, uh-huh. you know how it consumes you. So, um, you know, and obviously in that time, my body changed so much. Um, like I said, I went from like a size 8 to 10 to a size like 14. Um, and then by the end of my whole, you know, they say it takes two years for your body to fully recover from giving birth. So by the end of that, I was, I was, yeah, around a 14 to 16 um, in size. And that was around that 2017, 2018 mark. And um, Bella Management had um, a, a modelling competition going on. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I've kind of done this before. And within that time frame of like having babies and stuff, like people would, like friends would ask me, oh, you know, would you ever get back into modelling? And I was like, hell no, like, do you see me like I'm double the size I used to be when I was being told that I was too big to be in the industry? I I just, you know, it was always like a dream that I had in my heart, but never thought that I would be able to achieve because plus size modeling wasn't a thing Um, until it was, you know, and then I saw this um, competition, I I entered it and um, ended up winning it. So it was just... I think it was just one of those things that was just meant to be because I don't think I ever would have approached an agency to like directly to be like, I'm, you know, you know, 30 now that at the time, you know, I'm 30, I have three kids. Like who the hell am I to think that I can start modeling again? You I know, mean, so. it's so funny because in my eyes and in Bex too, you were just born to be in front of the camera. <laughs> like, and anyone listening, go and have a scroll through Lauren's Instagram feed. We she, were just frothing on your, <laughs> we were just like dying over your recent oh, um, shoot oh, on your Instagram. You, you just glow. You, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely stunning. And you just, you're, you can just tell like your inside, like the soul from your inside shines out as well. Mm-hmm. You can tell that you're thank just like you. a strong, fierce you guys are gonna make me cry i'm I'm too pregnant for this Um, speaking of too pregnant you're how many weeks away from um Uh, i'm 36 weeks at the moment and my due date is um the 31st of march but um, i'm going in a bit early to be induced so Mm -hmm. yeah Oh my gosh, he is going to be here before we know it. And your boys are so beautiful. I love watching the way Lauren parents (laughs) her boys. We've actually got a little um, Mums Who Inspire Us interview um, from Lauren, if you guys want to check that out on our website as well and learn a little bit more 
about her as a mummy. Um, but Lauren, can we talk a little bit about, you know, we're talking about your body image and what you thought you could offer things like a modeling agency. Um, let's talk about being a woman of color in Australia, um, particularly in Queensland. It's not always known for its diversity <laughs> and um, open-mindedness. Being a far North Queenslander myself, I mean, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, where I grew up, we have a really large Indigenous community and my group of friends is made up of um, of Aboriginals, Sri Lankans, Japanese, Chinese. Like, we have a really multicultural little group, but it's not actually – that's quite an uncommon scenario for far north Queenslanders, I would say. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I definitely. Um, so growing up in a South African household, honestly, I feel like I grew up in like a little bubble because um, my house was very African, <laughs> right? And I think that gave me a strong sense of identity and a strong sense of who I was. So. Going out into the world, I don't feel like I – I was kind of – I think I was just blissfully unaware of, of any racism if I was experiencing racism because now that I'm older, I kind of look back and I'm like, oh, maybe that was, you know, a bit of a microaggression, like with the whole hair thing within, within modelling. At the time, I didn't really question. I was like, okay, you know, just go along with it. But, you know, now that I'm older and I kind of, that's kind of been a reoccurring theme, of, you know, in the workplace even, um, you know, being in the office and having co-workers work, walk up to me and say, oh, can I touch your hair? You know, like stuff like that now I kind of see as, you know, a microaggression. But I think growing up I never, you know, I was just in this, um, you know, ignorance is bliss kind of bubble. Like, and you know, people would walk up to me in the street and tell me that I'm beautiful, tell me that they like my my hair or my, my skin tone. I never felt that it was malicious or racist or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, definitely looking back, like I went to um, an all-girls Catholic high school and I was one of maybe four girls, uh, four, you know, people of colour in the whole school of like 2,000 girls. And, you know, we, you know, the four of us, you know, definitely acknowledged each other and definitely um, had this like unspoken understanding of each other, <laughs> you know, like being the only black girls in the school. Um, and, but yeah, in terms of experiencing like outright racism, I don't think I ever have experienced that, which is interesting because my, my dad and my brother have definitely had um, very explicit um, instances of experiencing racism very outwardly um, and in your face. So I kind of, I'm grateful that I haven't had any, um, you know, openly racist experiences um but I, I know that it definitely does exist with your dad and brother having experienced horrible situations like that has that shaped the way that you parent your beautiful boys yeah definitely um I think you know my husband was um American so we definitely consciously made a decision that we wanted to raise the boys here and have our kids here instead of in America. 
um, obviously, because the, the racism is so much more extreme there and, and so much more explicit. Um, so that terrifies me, you know, that they could potentially grow up and, and, and spend time in the States and just, you know, with the, uh, you know, things like gang violence and incarceration rates and stuff like that. It's like incarceration rates is one in three black men. And I have three boys, you know, at the moment about to have four. So the statistics are stacked against them, you know, so definitely wanted them to grow up here and hopefully um, not have them not experience racism, but they're very, uh, you know, we've been having these conversations for a long time. They see what, what's happening in the media and, um, I definitely try and empower them as much as I can to, to love the skin that they're in and love not only their own differences, but um, be very tolerant of other people's differences. Um, you know, kids that they go to school with, they go to a very multicultural school, which was very a conscious decision that we made. Um, you know, we live quite rurally, so um, it was quite hard to find a school. Like at one point when my oldest son started prep, we um, were driving like 25 minutes each way just to make sure that he was going to a school that was multicultural because there were no schools in our area um, that had any diversity at all. So it was important to us for them to be exposed to other cultures and, um, and learn to be tolerant and not feel out of place. So we're really lucky now to, that they, they do have that. You know, they've got, I think there's like, well, I don't even know how many nationalities of kids at their school. So they, they are very tolerant of other people's you know, races and religions and, and differences in ability as well. You know, like I work with um, children who have disabilities. So we often have conversations about, um, you know, everyone learns at a different pace and not everyone's first, um, the, the language that they learn at home, is not always English. So we have to be patient with um, different people if we can't understand them and um, be compassionate. So... Lauren, yeah. I just have to say, like, that's such a big role to play. Like, you have three, almost four boys, like, raising children and boys especially. Like, it's a <laughs> lot of work. And just to add, you know, teaching them through life what you're teaching them through about, like, diversity and their race and how to treat other people, like, that's a lot um, to add on to what already is a lot as a mother as well and how you do it and the nature and where it comes from is just really beautiful um because it really does come from a place of love because it's quite easy for that to come from a place of like anger and resentment um and how you just explained it then is just really beautiful to to hear thank you and i think it's it's a responsibility that we all have as parents now you know not just people of color like and and i think it is definitely a shift that we're seeing in our generation that our generation is a lot more conscious in terms of our parenting styles and our, um, the messaging that we're, we're giving to our children. Whereas our parents, um, before us, I don't think were really as aware and conscious about the messaging that they were giving us and, um, what impact that was going to have, you know, on our lives and sending us out into the world. So I think there is definitely a big positive shift that's happening with parents um, in our generation to make, to raise conscious kids and, and kind kids. Yeah. So it's, it's good to see. Absolutely. I think there's been such a shift and such a recognition, um, you know, that you're not born with prejudice. Children are sponges. Mm, they are the product of their upbringing. Um, 
And I definitely think all of us feel, you know, um, a big responsibility, but also such a big sense of pride to be raising these little humans that are hopefully just going to make the world such a better place. I know that we've touched a little bit on um, raising your boys, um, you know, who, who, who are black boys, but let's take it back to even just boys in general. Cause I think it's such an, it's a really um, interesting concept um, that I'm seeing a lot of on Instagram and, and, and young mothers that I know who have little boys themselves who are really trying to detach from this toxic masculinity mm. theme that we've seen over the years. Can you tell us? And I, I mean, mm. I just, like I said before, I'm obsessed with the way that you raise your boys. <laughs> so they are so gorgeous. And whenever they hit a milestone and you're posting, <laughs> I, I remember... Um, I think it was about a, a couple of months ago. Um, I think it might have been your youngest boy or maybe your middle son. He went to go and collect something on his own for the first time and pay for it yeah. himself. <laughs> and when you posted that yeah. story, my heart just exploded. It was so yeah. gorgeous. Um, and they just seem to be such gentle, um, lovely, lovely boys. Can you talk to me about, talk to us about how you're raising them to, I guess, acknowledge their feelings and it makes me excited as a mum but especially as a boy mum like when Tori just told that story because right now Hunter's one and he just seems so innocent and untouched and like a blank canvas and then as your boys are getting older like it excites me to know that that innocence and just positivity and soft nature can continue Oh yeah, totally. I totally understand what you mean. Like it just being a boy mom, like has opened my eyes so much to, um, what men go through as men. And I know like, you know, I'm a girl's girl. I'm all about the girls, you know, I'm all about empowering women, but being a boy mom has definitely opened my eyes to seeing how, um, men are conditioned and that, you know, like you said, it's a huge responsibility as, just as raising girls is, but it's with boys, you know, raising boys and raising girls is so different. And, you know, I, I don't have girls, but I've, I've got a niece and I know they're so different, but, um, and, you know, it comes with different challenges, but with the boys, like, yeah, you definitely see how they are, they're, they're mummy's boys, you know, and they, you know, you really are their first love. I'm going to cry. <laughs> so am I. I think about um, that really resonates for me with um, on the, on the opposite side. I see Isabella with her daddy and she's just such a daddy's girl. Yeah. Oh. I'm sorry, I'm so emotional. Oh my god, but even if you weren't pregnant, it's an emotional topic. Like that just pulls at the heartstrings. I can't imagine talking about this at 36 minutes. Oh my gosh. Honestly, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with them. Like, you know, how old are they? Just um they're seven. My youngest is seven. My middle son is almost nine, and my oldest is eleven. So, you know, you guys know the the journey to becoming a mother. Like I, I just, before the episode, I watched, Tori, your video when you told Bex that you were pregnant and I can't, I always cry when I watch that video. Like, Cause you know, you were very open about your journey to becoming, being a mom and how much you wanted to be a mom and stuff like that. Like I, um, I didn't have any issues with fertility, but I wanted to be a mom so badly 
And now that I am, like, every day is just, like, amazing. Like, the other day, um, my 11-year-old said to me, he's a genius, okay? I'm not biased. He's <laughs> absolutely genius. He he always is educating me about something. Like, he's, all, he's into microbiology. So he's always telling, like, every like we can talk for hours about microbiology. And he knows so much stuff. He's so smart. And then he, he was in the shower and we're having a chat and he said, um, do you find it boring that I always tell you the same things over and over again? <laughs> and I was like, no, I love it. I love hearing you speak and I love hearing everything that you're learning because you didn't always know how to speak. I literally made you and I watched you grow from this tiny little baby to this big boy, this 11 year old that's so smart. And you know, like every time you open your mouth to educate me on stuff that I don't know, I'm just blown away at how smart you are. And he was like, oh, he was like, if I wasn't naked and wet, I'd give you a hug right now. Like, you know, every, every stage and every milestone, you just are just in awe at this little human that's just growing and developing. So, um, yeah, it's just motherhood is just amazing. But um, to answer your question in terms of like the whole toxic masculinity thing, like I think for me, like working in mental health and working with children, like it's just, it just comes naturally to me that, you know, I've had so much training and education around, um, you know, naming your emotions and, you know, not, you know, it's, it's not, it's a normal thing to feel all of your emotions. You don't have to be happy all the time. You, you know, we were made to feel happy, but also sad. And if we didn't feel sad, then we wouldn't know what happiness is. And it's okay to feel disappointed. It's okay to feel worried and scared and, um, and, and helping them to name those emotions as they grow and helping them to, um, identify how that feels in their body. So my youngest has been getting, um, like he's showing like a little bit of signs of anxiety. So he came, um, he came over the other day and he said, you know, he just burst into tears and I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, my belly's been hurting. And I said, well, are you hungry? You know, went through the whole bit. Are you hungry? Do you need to poop? No, no, no. Uh, and I said, are you worried about anything? Are you feeling scared? And he said, no, I'm not worried about anything, but I'm, I'm feeling scared because he had watched a, a scary movie the night before. So then, you know, it's about like helping them to identify how different emotions feel inside their bodies and, and that it's always safe to express those emotions um, as long as you're not hurting anyone else. Like, um, and it, yeah, it starts with talking about it and name, like being able to say, I feel this way, whether it's, um, a negative or positive feeling, it doesn't matter, but just knowing that you have um, like safe adults around you that you can bring those feelings to and talk about it. And, and they, you know, it's like that co-regulation, like your, your mom's always there to help you feel better, you know, and sometimes it's, it's okay. If you don't feel better straight away, you just need to sit with those emotions. And, you know, if you fight those emotions, then that's when they can last for a long time. But once you, say, you know what, it's okay that I'm feeling scared. I'm, it's okay that I'm feeling worried. That's when those emotions kind of just fade away naturally. So it's just, yeah, teaching them that it's, 
it's okay to feel your emotions and you don't have to push them down. You can express them in a healthy way. And I think, yeah, that's been the biggest takeaway for me, like in raising, raising boys and seeing how they are so soft and they're so vulnerable. Um, and, you know, just I've spent so much time just questioning how do they, how do they go from these innocent little, you know, emotional beings to, you know, we, we all know some pretty toxic guys. So it's like, it always makes me think, <laughs> what happened to you? How did you get this way? You know? And I suppose that does also start, you know, from the parents as well. I always been someone that used to suppress my feelings a lot. Cannot do that now that I have a baby because he just makes me yeah. feel everything. But um, I think especially it's a really big, important role, I guess, for the dads to play as well is to, yeah. to feel. I had a friend the other day say she um, her son did, doesn't know that ad- adults cry, <laughs> you know, like doesn't is like it's yeah. weird that adults cry because you rarely see yeah. them cry because you don't want to upset yeah. your child, mm. um, especially as they get older, older. He's seven now and he's just he thinks it's so weird that mm. adults cry because he doesn't see it. And I guess like yeah. it's kind of breaking down those barriers mm. as well in a in a healthy way you don't want to see them i'm seeing you yeah. fall apart every five minutes of the day. <laughs> definitely. yeah no definitely and also apologizing is a big thing like i know i you know grew up in a household where i don't think my parents would ever apologize for anything you know they if they lose their cool and yell at you it was just you know that's just what parents do whereas I, you know, if I, if I lose my cool with my kids and I yell at them or if I speak to them in a way that makes, I can see that they're upset, um, I will go and apologize to them and say, Hey, like, that's not setting a good example. I'm sorry, mommy lost her temper. Like I shouldn't have raised my voice. I shouldn't have said this or that. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's showing them that you're human as well. And that, that allows them to, yeah, not just it's not just you saying it's a safe space, but it's actually leading by example and showing that parents have emotions as well. And sometimes we lose our cool, but it's about how you handle that and how you come back from that and repairing that relationship. Mm, Absolutely. I was about to say it, there's this kind of moment and, you know, everyone experiences experiences it at a different age but at some point you just realize that your parents are just humans too they're Mm. not like these wonder you know superhumans they're not um you know like the the benchmark of authority or anything like that they're just people who Mm. would who were doing the best that they could with what they had um I grew up in a household that was very open um and nothing nothing was off the table in terms of um discussion like mum loves bringing up stories about me asking about what blowjobs are and this and that um but I you know and I grew up in a house of girls um I would love to know like if you have like what your plans are and you know I don't know if it's if it's something that's begun yet because your boys are still quite young but like how do you approach the subject of sex and I guess probably like a big theme now with parents of boys is consent do you have like I guess you know and standard can I just say the the race or not resources but like they have so much access to what they think sex is like porn used to just be a dirty magazine under Mm. the bed or in a drawer of a girl with her boobs out and now it's 
all over the internet and that's the standard Mm. of, I guess, if you don't have the conversation or you don't have an openness to have that conversation, Mm. they think Mm. that, like, a gangbang or, you know, just a Mm. porno is how you have sex with a woman. Yeah. Totally. We've had, we've started having those discussions. Oh, with just your eldest? <laughs> with my eldest and my middle son just asked me like two days ago, uh, you know, cause I'm obviously very highly pregnant. Like, <laughs> um, it just, it's, he asked me more about the relational side of sex. I think they, they, you know, we've had, when we had the conversations around sex, it was very biological and very, um, because they're they're boys and they we've watched National Geographic, they know that animals mate. So we kind of likened it, you know, in a kid friendly way to, you know, <laughs> when animals mate, you know, um, humans do the same thing. So you know, the sperm and the egg and and all of that stuff. So they they kind of know they know what sex is from a biological sense. Now we're kind of starting to get into the relationship side of it. So my nine-year-old asked me, um, you know, when, when something along the lines of when, or yeah, when do you have sex with someone or when do you have a baby with someone or something along those lines. So it was more like, but this was, it was like (laughs) 10 o'clock at night and he was in my bed, like I was trying to get him to sleep. And I was, I was like, you know what, this is a conversation for another day. (laughs) (laughs) Let mommy think on that. that Get back to you. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so cute. When do you do it? Well, how many days? And he's my emotional one. He's he's my social butterfly. Like he, <laughs> Sorry, uh, you know he, he's always talking about his his girlfriend at school or his crush, and and you know he's in grade four now, so it's like everyone's got a crush on everyone and and that kind of thing. So we we definitely have those conversations, but in terms of consent, I think that starts from very young and I think uh, you know like, as I mentioned I'm South African so in our culture um, you know we kiss and hug hello and goodbye so for me it started young like with having those conversations with my parents and was quite confronting for them and they kind of had to respect my boundaries and and see that I'm coming from a good place and trying to advocate for my children when I said they don't have to hug you if they don't want to and they don't have to, they can say hello, but they don't have to hug and kiss you. Mm. Um, and so that was a huge thing for me and my parents and my culture that um, it, they found it quite offensive and like, they, you know, they were taken aback like why, you know, that's just what we do. And I, and I said, you know, that's, it's just how we're raising our boys that no, they don't, they have that, um, the right and autonomy over their body. They don't have to do anything they don't want to do, especially when it comes to kissing hello and goodbye, because it's those subtle um, messages that they get. It's conditioning, you know, mm. if they're forced to kiss and hug an adult goodbye, then they start to learn, well, I don't have control over my body, you know? And, and I always think, you know, if I did have girls, how would I raise them? I, well, I'm always thinking that. I don't know why because I don't have girls, but, I, uh, you know, even when it comes to self-care and self-love and having standards with around dating and stuff like that, I think, okay, if I did have girls, what would I be saying? Because 
there shouldn't be a difference. Lauren, it's so interesting you say that a client at the studio a couple of weeks ago, she has boys. Um, I think she has two or three boys. And she, I was telling her about my son and she turned around and said, can I just give you one piece of advice? Um, I know you probably get plenty, but one piece of advice for someone with two sons in high school. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll take anything. And she was like, raise your boys like you're raising daughters. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Mm. With softness. Softness. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And we know as women, we we've been raised as girls and women. So I only know how to parent from the perspective of a woman, you know? So I I think that's why I do question, well, if I had, if I had a daughter, what would I want? What example would I lead by? You know, because it, like I said, I don't think there should be a difference. I think boys should um, value their bodies just as much as we teach girls to value their bodies. And, um, yeah, and, and when it comes to consent, like it starts with, you know, they're, they're always wrestling each other and um, they're very rough and tumbles. And, you know, if, if one of them says no, stop, I make it a point that, that it, sh- it should only ever be told once. Mm. If someone says to you, like if even if you're brothers and you're in the midst of playing and you're, you're wrestling each other and you're having a good old time, if someone's not comfortable and someone's not okay and they say stop, you stop straight away. And, Mm. you know, obviously they don't have a clue that had, that has anything to do with sex, but it's relevant to them right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can start to have those conversations when your kids are teenagers because you've kind of, you've missed, well you can, but you've, you've missed so many opportunities to ingrain that and teach them. I love Um, that. Yeah. So true. So how's it going down with the 11 year old? Like, is it something that you have to structure and you're like, okay, I'm going to sit you down and talk Tori's to you really excited it. for sex talks. I, <laughs> just, I just think it's so important. And I'm kind of like yeah. taking some notes um, from a seasoned yeah. mum of three. I feel like I need a notepad here as well. I'm loving I'm this. This Lauren 101 on uh, parenting. No, don't, don't. I'm winging it as I go. Like, um, I just know... I, I, they're all so different. Like the three of them have such different personalities. So I know my, my oldest is very black and white and he's very, his mind is very logical and he's very scientific. Whereas my middle son is very relational and social. So I know what, what works for him. That's kind of why I took the approach of like the biological and animalistic example, because I knew he would get that straight away. Whereas, you know, what works for him might not work for my my, my nine-year-old because he's more, you know, he's already asking me about, you know, we talk about dating and girlfriends and stuff like that. Whereas my oldest never has never had a, an interest in dating or anything relationship related. So, um, yeah. So with, with that conversation, I think the only thing that I know to do is to just be open and not have any shame around it. You know, just like, we talk about every other thing under the sun we can talk about that and I think you know when it comes to that specific conversation it's it's not just one it's it's an ongoing conversation and being aware of your own body language and your own um like limitations and traumas and like I know I've never had this conversation with my parents like I'm still waiting (laughs) 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 
<laughs> so um, I, I know I don't want it to be like that. I want the conversation to be really open and them to just know that we can talk about anything, anytime. Well, not anytime, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's um, – other than that, I'm just winging it. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's amazing. I hope so. And it must in some ways be a real conscious effort, um, having not been raised that way yourself, to kind of flip and, you know, like you, you're making the change with your generation of children. Um, and then I do think, like like I said, I grew up in a very open household, so that can kind of naturally spill on from there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It It is a conscious change and I think, I was, you know, something that you think about before you have kids, like how am I going to handle this when, when it comes up or, mm. you know, if you have a, a bad experience or a not so ideal experience growing up, you think about how you would do it differently as a parent, you know. So I think that's just the flow on effect that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just wanted to touch on you were saying how you often think about what you would do if you were raising a girl, even though you don't, you don't have um, – girl children yourself and that of course it should be the same um but also I just kind of wanted to say that just because you haven't like birthed girls doesn't mean that you're not mothering girls in your own way and influencing them in your own way you know like you brought up your beautiful niece all of the girls who follow you on Instagram like I mean even Beck and I we're we're like being molded by you right now so I think it's such a valid thing and it's a really cool thing to think about um because particularly in today's day and age when we can access so many more people than we used to be able to, um, being conscious with the message that you put out there is so important. Totally. And the one that you put on social media is incredible. Mm. Like your posts are just so awesome. Beck and I were looking at a photo that you put up Probably like it's a little bit further down your feet. In your jeans. Yeah. And like there was one photo sitting over the chair and I was like, oh my God, that photo. And then like I scrolled down. I was like, no, 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 that one. Like you honestly just make a woman look so sexy. Like you, you were sitting there, you've got your, I think you still had the, the line that you have. Um, the pregnancy the line. The pregnancy line. And yeah. just like you're sitting there and you know, you look perfect because you're you're honestly just sitting there like a proud woman having birthed children and you can just tell that you're very proud of who you are and that's, that's, I I, I want to see more of that. I want to feel more of that myself. Like it's easy for me to be Mm. like, I want to see more of it in the world. Like I need to do more of that, you know. (laughs) We're we're incredible beings. So true. You've captioned it. Women with real bodies and regular jobs are still winning in life. Don't let social media fool you. And no one brushed your hair out. <laughs> no, they knew how to work with curls. Yes, yeah, yes that was like I, just all yeah. on you. Thank you. No, I appreciate that so much. I do try to be I, – I kind of battle with myself because I only want to post um, things that I want to see more of you know, and I, I want to see women that look like me. I want to see, I, and I am conscious of, you know, the, the last series that I did about, you know, dear little black girl like that. I just named it that it's not actually called that. <laughs> it's just the images that came out of that. You know, I wish I had seen that when I was a little girl, you know, because I didn't have 
God, I never saw myself represented on TV or in magazines, you know, and it's not until you're an adult that you realize like, you, you know, you kind of feel invisible because you, you watch TV and you, you don't see yourself or you, you open a magazine and you don't see yourself. It's like, do I even exist? You know? And then when you start to form your own identity, it's like, well, you know, for years, like my teenage years, I always had straight hair, like chemically straightened hair. And I, yeah, I would always just always have straight hair. And that was just, you know, we could talk for hours about my natural hair journey because that in itself is just, there's so many layers to that as a black woman, like embracing your natural hair and not feeling like you have to fit into the westernized beauty standards, like to feel beautiful and be acknowledged and be seen. Like, so it's, it's a journey. Like, and that's why like, I love what I do with the work that I do with women is that we're, we're all on different points in our journey and, um, the, the journey of getting to know yourself and getting to love yourself, especially after having kids, it's like, it's life changing. Mm, absolutely. Um, I mean, I would love to talk for two hours about your hair journey as well. I actually think that we could, um, we could have an episode on that because I know that there is so much to unpack. And a couple yeah. of years ago, Chris and I watched a documentary on black hair and we were blown away Chris particularly yeah. I mean the man doesn't have any hair so <laughs> he's kind of like <laughs> really needs to know about that world um but it is I, and I actually think that in Australia people people really still don't have much of a handle on it's like I'm, one of my best friends in primary school Tracy was from Ghana in Africa and um I used to go over to her house and her mum it, I, I was mind blown at just like the care that needs to go into it, or mm. like the relaxing. They have to, you have to yeah. relax your hair, and then like the braiding would take like six or seven hours. And I would sit there just being like, <laughs> "Oh my goodness!" And then her yeah. beautiful mum would then braid my hair because I'm like, <laughs> I, I want to look, I want to look like Tracy because she's my best friend. And yeah. I didn't even. I was so young at the time. I didn't even. I don't think I was, I was just so blissfully unaware that Tracy's hair was because of her race, because of her color. Like it was just, yeah. I'd go over to her house and hang out while she, her mum would do her hair. And it was just, it's, there's so much to unpack on it. And yeah. yeah. Totally. It's, it's, it's so layered and it's so, you know, again, it comes back to conditioning, like societal conditioning and also family, family conditioning, like, Oh God. I mean, being a South African woman, like we can go back to, and talk about apartheid and, you know, how we were segregated based on the color of our skin. And some, you know, some people in my family chose to identify as being white so they could access privilege. And, and that was based on the, the color of their skin and the texture of their hair, you know? So you had families that would be divided out on the street and couldn't even acknowledge each other based on, well, I identify as white and I have an identification card at, at, that says that I'm white. So I can't say hello to my black daughter and her black children. You know, it's, it's just, it's so layered and you know what that means for us today. That's why the, the photo shoot that I did recently 
um, with Larissa. Now she's um, a, a Brazilian beauty and we, we look so similar. We have very similar hair texture, very similar hair um, skin color, but from different parts of the world. Mm. And um, it was a makeup artist, a beautiful um, makeup artist that we've worked with before. Um, she put this concept together and she was like, you know what? I want to really want to do something to show off you guys's um, like beauty. And I was so, I felt so honored to be a part of that because that is exactly what I, you know, if I did have daughters, I would post, you know, I would have those photos printed and have them around the house just to show her that you are beautiful and you just, as you are, you don't have to relax your hair. You don't have to wear your hair a certain way or, um, you know, have them in braids. You can just embrace your natural beauty exactly how you are you don't have to change anything about yourself to feel beautiful because you're perfect the way you are and yeah that's that's why that those photos are so important to me and they're so special to me they're so beautiful it's really interesting with the media and what what i think to be interpreting as as steps that we're taking to breaking down those barriers um and trying to gentrify all all different um aspects of of people of color and you know their their physical traits which which um which i guess prove their ethnicity like what i'm trying to say is i've been watching this show recently and i i realized the other day that none of the black actors have um wigs or anything like that like they're all in their natural hair and I realised that that was the first show that I've seen that only had real hair in the show. Wow. And I thought, that is fucking nuts that all these years that I've been on the planet, like basically <laughs> every representation of, of someone who's black or a person of colour has had fake hair on their head. I know. And it's crazy. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I totally hear you because it's – it's such a normalized thing that it's like when you see someone with natural hair, you're like kind of like it stops you in your tracks a little bit. I don't think you're not used to seeing it. Yeah. I honestly think that I was so naive that I didn't even realize that um, when, when someone was wearing a wig, it was a wig. I think I thought that they had their hair relaxed. A hundred percent. Yeah. I totally agree. And, and that just goes to show how good we've got at it. Yeah, but even with, even with braiding, I never knew for a long time um, that you can make, they, like, your hair can be so much, like, I didn't know it was extensions. I was just like, yeah. oh, it's like. Your hair was really, yeah. really curly and now it's really, really, really now it's braided. Like, I know. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's so funny, like, with, with TikTok, like, seeing so many, like, different, you know, with women coming out and talking about, you know, these, these type of things. Like I, I saw one um, video saying like, as a black woman, if my hair's this short one day and then the next day you see me, it's down my back. And then the next day you see me, you know, it's, sh- it's, you know, totally short. Don't question it. Yeah. <laughs> Just go with it. And it was, it was a joke, but it's, it's literally, you know, it's ingrained in us that, but I love seeing women embracing it now and it's like just it's an open thing that you know black women can be dressed and look 
however they want from day to day, you know, whether they're feeling, you know, bougie, they can have a little short bob. And then the next day, if they want to rock fake dreadlocks, they can do that, you know, and it's just like the the magic and the versatility that comes with being a black woman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a really beautiful way of looking at it too. Yeah, absolutely. Lauren, thank you so much for your time today. It has been it's a really beautiful conversation. It was like a real yeah, soul so talk, wasn't it? I learned yeah. a lot. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. I love talking to you guys. And I love that everything that you guys stand for and the work that you do with women around body confidence as well. It's, it's amazing to watch. And your journey, both of your journeys uh, through motherhood, it's just been so fun to watch. And I love watching your little babies <sighs> hit their milestones and just getting so cute and chubby and yeah, I'm loving watching your journey as well. Oh my gosh, right back at you, Lauren. Keep the content coming of your boys. I am obsessed and I we can't to wait to see all over again. Yeah, the new the new family member coming so soon. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day when you're 34 weeks, 36 weeks pregnant. Good lord. Oh, good. Thank you for having me. Well, we'll talk to you soon and we love you. Thanks, Thanks Lauren. Love you guys too. Bye. Bye.